guys, this is Emily Kelly and Peter Kunin from the Fan Theories Podcast on the Daredown Network. Join us on the last Monday of every month to delve into the crazy, the clever, and the convoluted world of fan theories. And be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and more. Love you, bye! Hello, and welcome to the Todd and Taylor Show. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. <clears throat> and uh, I, I don't ever know if it, it feels this way to our listeners, but it's been a while since you and I have recorded. Yeah. Um, and uh, 2017, you, Todd. You've been, been fighting off some... Oh, yeah, 2017. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New um, Year. You, uh, you've been fighting off a flu for a while. Um, yes. I've been taking airborne like my life depended on it. Um, Which is good because my, my flu is so strong that it would probably reach through the wires, through the, <laughs> through the inner tubes and, and, and out through your head setting and infect you. So I just, oh God, it was that bad. I'm still, you know, I'm in the final, it's like haunting me yeah. like a cough and like nose, but man, for two weeks, I was just in. Yeah, I mean, that sucks. I wanted just to be, I wanted to die as, as many of, many of you out there, I'm sure are familiar <clears> with when you, when you have a flu, I, it's just been a while since I had one like that severe. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what, how do you exist? I don't even know. I, I don't either, but you have been uh, passionate about something, so I feel like I should just open it up and say, what's got you going these days? Well, like warning, disclaimer for those out there, angry old man rant or angry 30-something <laughs> geek rant or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, was, I, had a, I had a trigger. I was triggered tonight, Todd. What was the trigger? Um, I don't think we touched on that one in our preliminary conversation. No, it was it – was, uh, the trigger was absurd. It was an issue of Country Air Check, which is this PDF that comes oh. out every week. Um, that is sort of like a industry newsletter for the Nashville country industry. That's not important. What is important is that it really kind of kicked up, it kicked up the dust on my my sort of increasing disdain or concern or all of the above for where the creative industries are in 2017. Right, yeah. and and by that I mean this, and it's and it, I have to disclaim this because everybody out there listening, is, you know, I'm I'm sure there's people who are going to be like, oh, you're just you're getting old. The the problem is, <laughs> as I as I have gotten older, I become more attuned and sensitive to the fact that we live in a world that anybody anywhere can can create something, whether it be music, a book, a movie, um, you know, a graphic, an ad, anything you want. And so, so the the idea of being inspired by the best of the best and consuming the best of the best, um, and you know, from a commercial standpoint, selling and exposing the best of the best, you think that's where we would be oriented as a culture, right? Sadly, I feel like that is where we couldn't be further from that. Like you look around, <coughs> pardon me, you look around, Todd. Yes. And, 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 <laughs> And like, and 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 I, I will try my best not to to get into the musical side of this because I know you have a a blog post coming we up, and yeah, we got a forthcoming rant. <laughs> yeah, we have a fourth. So so I'll try to keep the music side of this to a minimum. But like, you know, the idea of genre and 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 you know the the you talk to music consumers or listeners under the age of thirty. The idea of genre doesn't really matter much anymore. You know, when we had a CD store sure. that you'd walk into, or you know, when Tower Records was still around. You could walk in like genre was necessary just to sort of you know, organize and 
and and you know help people find what they needed but like at, at some point this this idea has like sort of evaporated again we're almost back to where we were in the you know 50s or 60s when you know a radio station would play anything you know anything yeah. and everything and like music was sort of this limitless expanse of creativity and like i feel like where we are now with music with movies with tv um it that should be that should be more of what we're seeing now I'm not discounting all the wonderful things that have come and gone, you know, in the last, in the last year, even like, you know, for every piece of crap band or song that comes <laughs> out, there is like, you know, a really great, you know, there's Daft Punk's random access memories, or there's, you know, pick your, pick your poison around the TV side. There's like a stranger things, or there's the, you know, the newest season of game of Thrones. Like there is quality out there, but I'm, I see more and more, sort of the incentive behind studios or labels or publishing houses is to, instead of embracing that by the horns, they're just hunkering down more and more into this sort of posture of, of safety yeah. and, and coloring in between the, you know, in between the lines and not being adventurous. Yeah. This, this came to a head for me because I, about every three or four months, I get sort of reinfected by the, the words and inspiration of Alejandro Jodorowsky. And I, I, I this rant is all over the stay map. Stay with me. Stay with me. <laughs> I use him as an example because if you're not familiar with Yodorowsky, he is like the epitome of like avant-garde auteurs, right? He's like the word I, I always use is sui generis because like you know very few people are you know he, he's 86 years old. He's a Chilean-born like film director, comic creator, author, like mysticist. Um, you know, tarot, tarot card reader. He's like, he is just like this guy who exists from this other world where like there are no limits on creativity, right? So you put him at one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end of the spectrum is like all the safe, like Adam Sandler movies, just, you know, just like the lowest common denominator kinds of stuff that, you know, nobody's going to talk about or care about in a year, five years, 10 years. It'll just be forgotten art, if you want to call it that. And like, I always get pulled closer to the Odorowski side of that spectrum. And in doing so, it sort of opens my mind up and, and gives me clarity around like all the stuff that, that, that is too far on the other end. And I just, I just get so flustered by it. You know? Yeah, I, I have this experience when I uh, like visit my parents and watch uh, cable TV. Oh, God. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, okay, so here, great example. Great example, right? So like – you and I, uh, we've talked about this a, a few times, but like neither of us consume our news or information at all from cable news, right? Like, correct. I, I assume you've never, and I'm even, and I'm not counting like Vice News Tonight as part of that. Like uh, anything that's like a multi-media sort of experience, like Vice, I almost take off the table. I'm talking about like traditional cable news. Um, I mean, the, only if possibly I go watch a story on cnn.com yeah okay but that's so rare that it's not yeah. like it's not like a regular source of news but but i do i mean yes some cable networks deliver news that i read it's just not in the cable tv and, and I, this is not even a partisan thing it's just watch right. you know spend an evening watching any aspect of cable news um and it's just like it's it's just the same graphics packages and just garbage you know two minute summaries of like stories that have no context and it's just like you guys have a network you you have the financial resources to do anything you want and you're just doubling down on the same 
boring, useless nonsense. You know, the same exactly. packaging, the same personnel. Like, oh, we're gonna hire this person because it looks just like that person. Like, I can almost guarantee you, they're right now in the in the bowels of Fox News. They're going through resumes to find somebody who looks exactly like Megyn Kelly to replace her. Like, we need a woman. <laughs> she needs to be blonde. She needs to have this sort of way of talking. You know, it's just like not, no experimentation. I'll even take it to another place, like late night TV, right? Like. <sighs> We went from a place where Johnny Carson was like the only guy, men and Letterman behind him, you know, to maybe there were, you know, so it was just it was just that and Letterman to like there was Letterman, Leno, and maybe one or two others, you know, and Arsenio, you know, came and went and that kind of stuff. Now we have like literally Chevy like Chevy Chase. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I forgot about Chevy Chase. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Now we have you know what twenty different late night sort of. You know, weekly, you know, you know, weekly sort of things. And other than Sam B, I don't really see who is I mean, a John, trash. Yeah, exactly, Sam B is a trash. And, and again, it's don't even like take take the politics out of it. Just the presentation, the format, the fact that you know she's not behind a desk; she's standing. It's right. like once it's once a week. Um, right. You know, it's it, the way it sort of flows. Like that's one of the only shows that really is well, exactly. I mean, when you look at the. Um, uh, you know, uh, the failure of the nightly show, which didn't get renewed. I mean, I, I wouldn't say the show itself was a failure, but um, yeah, it, and then Trevor Noah, Noah replacing Jon Stewart, they were just trying to do the same thing again. But yeah. I mean, that's, you know, they slotted, John, I mean, yeah. they slotted Trevor Noah in there and part of it was, you know, they didn't want a lot of time in between. I think what was it? Two months, three months from was it even that long. It really felt like it was the day after. It might. I mean, I don't know if it was the day after, but it was it was close. But like they didn't even like take the time to let him. I mean, they kept the same intro music. Like everything was still like it was literally like they just took John Stewart off the chair and put Trevor Noah in and then maybe changed the background graphic, you know, and just basically like here, here we go. So it's been to Trevor Noah's credit that he's been like forcefully evolving it as you know right. best he can little by little. What what I really if you want to go go, you know, even further back, what really bothered me is when Conan O'Brien. <laughs> Um, got his TBS before his TBS deal, right? So I, Con- I, I feel like I should be reeling you in or something, but I really want to know where this goes. So, well, okay, so like, so Conan O'Brien, and and I, I remember this. This was almost the first time I really felt this way about this topic, right? Where just like this idea of we live in a world where anything is possible from a creative media standpoint. You know, any you can experiment. You you know, the cost of production is so low, you can literally do anything. And set new boundaries and be, you know, be remembered for being like a trailblazer. So Conan O'Brien gets fired from the Tonight Show on NBC, and I'm, yeah, as everyone I'm sure is aware of the circumstances. And well, yeah, and so he went off into the wilderness, and was before he signed his TBS deal. Everybody's like, "What's he gonna do? What's he gonna? You know, he could do anything." He went and did a uh, keynote on uh, Google's campus, and I'm sure you can still find the video. It's like an hour and a half or something on, on YouTube, but. He was doing kind of like a Q&A sort of, um, you know, kind of half stand-up show, half q and it was, it was an interesting sort of thing. But everybody kept asking him, like, you know, you can change the game. Like, what are you going to do? And just that there was this excitement around the possibility of what – Conan has nothing to lose now. Like, he had and lost the Tonight Show. He's got this grudge. You know, he's, he's still ha- – he's got a huge payday so he can invest in his own – like, what is he going to do? And – what he did was signed the safest 
most bland deal with TBS that basically just recreated the, the Tonight Show, and off he went. And now, what six years later, um, they're talking about canceling it. And I'm just oh, like, really? yeah, it, the oh, ratings crazy. are not good. I would, um, I would actually, <laughs> I would take issue with that. But I know you're headed to a different, uh, a different point. But I do think that Conan is far more creative at TBS than he ever would have allowed to have been at um, NBC. I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. <clears throat> and fair, I like I like point. how much they use the internet and appeal to that. And I think he kind of like set that up for Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert and those other like big network guys and Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Like, Fallon was doing a little bit of it, I know. Um, but I, I still give Conan so much credit for like his his uh like location stuff is amazing. Oh yeah. So, I, 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 I let, let me let me apologize. Like yeah, what he's done on TBS has been good. But it's still been within the confines of this safe kind of format, you know. Sure. Yeah. And it's just like he could have done. He, I mean, he could have started a YouTube channel and just d- gone exclusively that way. Actually, and- I think I made your point for you, which is like I, the, my examples are. Oh, I like it when he's not behind the desk. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. When he's on the internet and not at the desk, hilarious. Like, like he could have done a show where he literally, you know, had a very small, like almost intimate kind of studio, bring people in, you know, they sit on a couch and just chat and then they just drop in all the sketches and like, it could have been really interesting. Um, it bothers me that Chelsea Handler was the first person to like break away from like the TV model and just, you know, it's, and go to Netflix and be like, well, we're going to do a Netflix late night show. I'm like, well, that's something mm-hmm. interesting, you know, love or hate Chelsea Handler. It was an interesting move, right? You know, she could have kind of, yeah. Similar position. She could have kind of gone anywhere. Which is kind of where Comedy Bang Bang should have been. But I guess it was on Comedy Central for a while before it started. You know, it is now just series on Netflix. Which one's Comedy Bang Bang? Oh, man. Scott Aukerman's uh, – I don't know if it's safe to call it a parody on late night TV shows or variety shows or something. But this – yeah, you should be watching that. Um, Reggie Watts was his musical director until uh, he was stolen by um, who, who took him? Uh, who did take Reggie uh, Watts? Whatever the, the the new guy that like the English guy that sings in the car with people. Oh, James Corden. Did he take Reggie Watts? I think so. I think it sounds yeah. right. Interesting. All right. Well, that, anyway. okay. All that to be said, I use these. So, these, these are just exa- <laughs> well, these are just examples on the road to where just like here we have this platform called the internet. That yeah. you know, at this, which I would argue at this point in 2017, we're you know, especially in America, we're at critical mass, right? Like we've onboarded pretty much, as you know, a, most of the people in this country in some way, shape, or form. Um, and so we've got like, so there's no excuse. You can't on, be like, on well, the I, internet, right? The internet, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So it's right. like. I mean, you can access it from any number of devices. Like, you can't be one of those people who goes, "Well, I didn't, you know, I'm just not online yet." Like that, that we're past that. So the fact that like we have this this platform, this distribution platform, like, it, you know, for all things, for all creativity, for you know, right, art, right. music, everything, and that we can't, there isn't this sort of this, you know, what do you want to call it? There isn't this like race to innovation there. You know, it's it's like everybody's even Apple is like, you know everybody keeps talking about well apple tv will change the game and then you know all we keep seeing is like here's a list of tv apps that you can access from our you know our our thing really get it yeah that's it that's it that's where we're so so i I feel like there are these we have this massive opportunity as a as a culture 
and I do want to keep this as like a cultural conversation. Like I, I use myself as like kind of the, the litmus test or it's kind of like the, you know, my, my, my way to guide through this, but this is a cultural thing. We have this platform. We have, you know, anybody anywhere can create something and put it on this platform. Anybody anywhere can, can gather that stuff um, and do like exclusive deals and build like the new labels or publishing houses of the future where, you know, like you have like a, the, the greatest, most diverse, stable of quality stuff that has ever existed. And yet nobody seems to want to do that. I mean, I, I, let me backtrack. People want to do that, but like at large, you know, in terms of an industry or, or commerce, yeah, nobody seems to want to do that. Nobody wants to embrace it whole hog. Um, you know, now, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to pivot you too hard into comic books, but, uh, that that was where we were going with this. Yeah. So so my point to you off you know off the air before we started was the only industry that that seems to actually completely be free of restraints in terms of creativity or you know uh, the way they're telling stories or doing art is the comics industry. And yeah, you have your big two doing your traditional stuff, but outside of that, there is you know. 25 publishing houses that are all image like in their in the way they sort of do content like and like you could walk into a comic store and you know any comic store in America and see like you know 10 you know 10 spines of books and know oh my god I don't even need to read this I know this is going to be interesting and it's going to change sort of change my perspective it's going to enhance me as a human being right like I'm going to walk away from this book and gain something um so, I'll tell you what would be fascinating is if you and I, in future episodes of our podcast, could find the people that could explain this to did this path to me, because less than ten years ago or so, uh, there was there used to be this website which I tried to find before we started recording, and it appears to have disappeared, um, which was just quotes on comics, and it would it was just creators and stuff that they pulled from interviews, and you could just endlessly, as I did, refresh this page and get new quotes from people about the industry and stuff. And they were just, you know, fun and inspirational and whatever. And one of them was could the comic book industry seems determined to make all the mistakes that the music industry made on their way to digitizing everything. Hmm. And at the time, like I remember reading that and going into my local comic book shop and talking to the manager there and saying, yeah, I was, you know, we were just talking about digital comics and I asked, you know, are you seeing an effect here and we, you know, we talked about it, and I would say, and here's here's where it would be great to talk to the experts, that that trend has kind of reversed itself, and I wonder if one of the primary reasons for that are these uh, big labels who are pushing that envelope, you know, mm -hmm. and if they were able to sort of innovate enough that it dragged the big two into a better, you know, uh, well, business plan or whatever, because we're, yeah, I, I see that now, like comic book stores feel even more vibrant now than eight years ago. I mean, let's go back to the nineties, right? In the mid nineties, yeah. comics industry was basically near dead, right? Yeah. There was this, I mean, and I wasn't there, I wasn't an active customer then. So I, I only read, I read about in the history books, Todd, like I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. but like there was a point in the mid nineties where like, you know, an image then is not image. I mean, image then was like every sort of like generic superhero they could throw at you with like giant splash. But like Im image was almost like a dirty word 
at right. you know at, for some point. So like it's come a long way, but I feel like you know in the face of that, like at no time did the industry like get safer. Right. It wasn't like, well, we better just do, you know, we better just do these kinds of things and not, you know, we just, it'll always be like Batman kind of stories. It's like if you track the evolution of the industry and the kinds of titles that have come out since, like, let's just say 97, 98, right? It's gotten more diverse, more creative, yeah. more interesting. Like every year, like it's just like this tidal wave of like new and interesting voices and new and interesting art that's just like, you know, it's spellbinding and, and yeah there is safe stuff out there i'm not dismissing that and so a lot of the safe stuff is really really good too but it's not like you have to you know you know shovel deep to find the 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 really interesting stuff or, or find something that's just going to blow your mind like it's all equal like it's well, all there that's another that all equal point is so huge because that's something we've seen in music all along where even if there is a, and there certainly is now, like a great variety of indie labels and underground labels and stuff like that, but they even still don't have equal visibility. Whereas yeah. when you walk in a comic book shop now, um, you know, again, at my local shop, the only difference between the appearance of uh, image or any other small, you know, any other indie press, it's not one of the big two, Mm-hmm. is the size of wall space but they're at the same yeah. eye level they're just as on display as marvel and dc mm-hmm. um, it's just that you know marvel has more titles so they have like four yeah, uh, yeah. cases where image has one or something like that but there's no discrepancy but you like there's still a local place to go find out about comics and at that place everything is on an equal level yeah, yeah. Which and is, compare, uh, compare that to like a Barnes and Noble, because I don't want to yeah. like I don't want to leave traditional books out of this this conversation. So like you walk into a Barnes and Noble, I don't have that. Yeah, there's a diversity of content, but I feel like a Barnes and Noble is no different than a Tower Records was in 2003. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I was going to bring up Tower. Exactly. Because it's like you walk in, everything's seg- segregated by genre. Um, the stuff that's in those genres, like walking to the business section of a Barnes and Noble, it's almost depressing. Like yeah. it's, it's the same kinds of covers. It's yeah. the same kind, like it's, it's, you know, every book is like the same concept, just slightly rewritten. And I'm just like, who, yeah. you know, who is this for? Like everybody's just, it, nobody, Seth Godin, I think was the only one who I ever heard of wanting to be daring and like he i forget which book it was but he told him at the time he told penguin he's like all i want on the cover is a picture of a lizard like that's it <laughs> and like no title no nothing and they're like well we can't do that he's like well why not because like he the way the point he was trying to make is the book talked a lot about you know our lizard brains and how it's hold you know they're holding us back developmentally so he's like why not just slap a big lizard on there you know and put my name on the spine and there you go and it's like that would be even more appropriate today in a world of Amazon where you don't even need the title on a cover. Like the title is there in the meta information. And yet people still are like packing these covers with like, it's the same, like, you know, I think in the last year it was like every, every title, you know, every cover was red and white with the same font (laughs) and the same, like, you know, the same, like cleverly, you know, six worded, like little subtitle. And I'm like, it just, in three years from now, who's going to remember any of those authors or any of those books? Like, I mean, it is it's like this this idea of disposable art being okay is not okay right like i think that's really the core of my my gripe is that it's if you're somebody who puts in the effort and you're trying and maybe you're just not experienced enough and you make what others consider disposable art 
that's one thing. And you know, if, if you want to keep getting better and you're like, well, that didn't work. So let me try this or let me try this. And you keep you're evolving your journey as a creator. I have ultimate respect for you. But when it's like, when the commercial imperative is to go, no, 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 we're going to intentionally make shitty, you know, shitty art and intentionally spend money on promoting it. And that's our business model. Like why, like why in 2017 is that right. okay? Like, why is, I, I don't understand it. Right. When it's been proven that something, uh, weird and kind of underground can basically be just as popular or get as many views or, or sales or something. Well, like, you know? here's, here, uh, going back to music for just a moment. Um, are you familiar with Sturgill Simpson? Uh, no. Sturgill Simpson, like every time I bring this sort of conversation up in my music circles, I'm like, you know, and again, I'm, I'm trying to hold back because I know you've got a whole other rant, but like, you know, the Nashville music scene is dot, 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 fill in the blank. I always get told like, well, Sturgill Simpson is, he's your guy. And go on Spotify, just look up Sturgill Simpson, like, familiarize yourself kind of with his story he is he is the epitome of that guy he is like i have i want nothing to do with the commercial industry i want nothing to do with like radio like if radio plays me fine i guess but that's almost it almost weirds me out it almost feels like i'm doing something wrong right it's like so he puts out like every album is completely different and interesting and like he goes and he's got this really loyal following and i can almost guarantee you in 25 years a good chunk of people will still know and talk about Sturgill Simpson and they'll talk about his music and like, he'll still be known. Whereas 30 artists coming out this year that just are the you know, generic nonsense. Like nobody's well, going to know who those people I are. I mean, nobody's it's, you know, which is, us. we, you know, we talked about, I feel like we, maybe we talked about this on a podcast, but um, uh, the Knoxville, Tennessee band, uh, super drag and I'll mm. get these numbers wrong, but, you know, I, I did an interview with them the year they were getting dumped by Electra. They had just just gotten dumped and and had found the indie label to release these recordings that they had spent years like litigating to get back. You know, mm. and uh, and one of the figures that John Davis, the singer, threw at me was something like their, you know, their second album sold something like I don't know, it was like fifty thousand copies or whatever, mm. which to Electra was like utter failure. Mm-hmm. But to any indie label, it's like, holy shit, you're our biggest selling band. Yeah, yeah. You know? And and uh, um, I think to tie it into sort of the modern era, you know, there's uh, Chris Anderson's idea of the long tail, which is you really just need like a thousand dedicated fans, mm-hmm. who, you know, to make a living at art. Um, well, I... And it, the thing is to sell over, a, you know, uh, more things over a longer period of time, whereas the theory for all corporate outings is to sell more of one thing. Yeah, you know, sell one album to a million people, which is why Katy Perry's recorded like four records in the past, you know, twelve years or whatever. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, you know, and the magnetic fields have recorded forty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I bristle no. a little bit at your mention of of, of long tail though, because half yeah. that. Half that book was correct in that, yeah, the, the the idea being you as an independent creator can have a career with less, like like a more focused career with less people than you would have, you know, under a major label publisher system. You know, just the point you just made, like that that right. part I, I'm on board with. The the part I that has like since that book's come out, and what's it like ten years now, twelve years, um, probably. 
the thing that that I I feel like has 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 kind of haunted him is that this long like this fact that now every every kind of you know con- every twist on a song like it, you will you can literally have access to anything you ever wanted if you're like a yeah. you know if you're a catholic punk african zomba fan someone out there is making that music for you you know <laughs> the problem that 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 he never addressed in that book and that the industry has not addressed is that filtering is is still the biggest sort of missing piece and that yeah all that stuff's out there but how the hell are you going to find it yeah. Right. Like it might be on Spotify, but it may be Which, poorly, you know, tagged. Maybe like there's no mechanism in place for you to to connect you as a fan to that thing. Which right? is kind of what we were hitting on with the the equal eyeballs kind of treatment. Is mm-hmm. like if you hit Spotify, you're equal. You're there's not equal uh, promotion for uh, Catholic punk African Zamba music or whatever he said, <laughs> like they're, you know, they're, they're in bed with the labels and the labels are getting most of the payout and they've got sponsorships to promote. And like, that's, labels you know, are partners in the business with them. Yeah, so exactly. Like, exactly. So that, yeah, it's weighted towards what it always was corporate music, you know? So yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, the I mean, so like the filtering pro like, so the fact that like, again, it's just, it's, it's just like this, the lack of anybody standing up to solve the problem, right? So, like Peter Gabriel in 2006 uh, started this little company called The Filter, literally to solve this problem. The problem then was the access to content. It, it was almost he was almost six years too early. So right, it right. sort of made a little splash, and then, but they ended up selling it to some other other company, and they just took the technology. And so, it if if it had allowed to sort of evolve and and kind of evolve to the marketplace, it could be sort of this panacea of of awesome you know connective tissue but it just never it never did that other than that i don't know of anything else there there has not been anything else like as a as an entity as a company as an app to to solve this problem you could say well yeah spotify's got a lot of algorithmic or machine learning kinds of solutions baked in yeah and that's that gets us maybe 40% of the way there um but where is that for netflix where is that for movies where is that for comics like yeah, you know, other than you telling me something's good, which is by you know, that is still great and that still works, but I feel like there's so much content out there in the world now. I don't have enough. I, I could never assemble like an expert group of friends, you know, savvy enough to to really solve that problem for me. Well, and honestly, the the place that I find where it's working the best is YouTube. Because YouTube knows my history and my search history, you know, like my viewing history and my search history. But <clears throat> I assume there's also, you know, they've also, got, well, not assume, I know there are powerful tools in there going, other people who watch this video watched these videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably discover, you know, I would, I would pray, it's got to be more than half of the new music I listen to, I bet, is through YouTube. And then I go search for those bands. Um, my number one go-to is is Bandcamp because I know mm-hmm. the artist is getting the majority of that money. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then Google Play after that. Uh, you know, but I, but yeah, you're right. Like nobody, you know what's what else I wanted to say here was I just saw a tweet from somebody like in the last week, and I wish I could remember who it was, who said. I wish there were a hide feature on Netflix so it would stop yes. referring me to the same shit that I have no 
yes. plans ever to watch. And that would help me filter my Netflix results. And I like, you know, thousand percent. Yes. Like that is even playlists exactly right. on Netflix would be ideal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like just that, like, a playlist on Netflix and a hide feature or like a thumb, just the, the simple Pandora thumbs up, thumbs down. Like yeah. here, here oh are God. 10 titles yeah, exactly. that I'm never going to have any, ever watch, like thumbs down and maybe algorithmically it'll go, oh, oh, interesting. So let's not show them anything of that, like that nature again. Right. Um, and like even it used to be when I would log in, maybe it still does this on the web app and I just am usually on a tablet or something when I watch is it, it used to give me several choices in the, like header sort of carousel, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. where I could go through and add a few to my list. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it just pushes one thing. And the problem is like, man, it was pushing like a fucking Gabriel Iglesias like stand-up hour to me. And I'm going, what in my history makes you think that I think he's funny? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this comic at all. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just like remove him from my view. I got the, I got the same thing. I know exactly. And, sh- and that's kind of what I felt. I felt like, oh, uh, they're just, you know, this has nothing to do with, oh, this guy watched several Louis C.K. specials. I bet he'll like Gabriel Iglesias. Yeah. You know, yeah. a fam- family-friendly comic that everyone without children who <laughs> is into Louis CK likes. Well, I, I think about, so weird. So this is, this is, this is kind of, you know, sentimental, but like, I'm always every, every year. And it's a great time we're talking about this. Cause every year I always think, you know, kind of at the beginning of the year in January, like what's the thing this year that I'm going to discover. That'll be my new favorite thing. Yeah. Right. Like what, and going back to Jodorowsky, like when I went to 2015, never my wildest dreams that ever think I was going to be in, uh, you know, Whistler, um, British Columbia, um, watching Netflix, and all of a sudden this little documentary about Jodorowsky's <laughs> Dune comes up, and not only was it my favorite thing of that year, it like opened up all these doors to all these new things that I never would have discovered before, and so I'm it's- always like, you know, what is what's that going to be for me for 2017? And I'm I'm simultaneously excited by that possibility, but also really frustrated that like it has to like find like I almost have to yeah. like it almost has to be like like this sort of like meet cute, you know, that just happens. <laughs> Like I can't, there's not like a thing in place that I know, like if I go to this thing, I will have that experience whenever I want. Right. Right. That, that, and I, 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 you know, you could be optimistic and go, well, one day I'm like, yeah, that should be today. Like we've had enough time as a culture and, you know, with industry and technology to solve this problem and nobody seems to want to do it. Yeah. It's, uh. I, I like I like all these these thorny problems, <laughs> and it's like and you know and somebody's like why don't you solve it I'm like I, I alone like like by the time I got I, I would be so frustrated by that process and maybe that's the problem maybe it's like maybe it is such a thorny problem maybe there, yeah maybe there are like secret government labs trying to solve this problem right now and it's just they they can't keep anybody on the you know employed because they keep getting frustrated and quitting. I mean, but I'm to the point now where like, you know, if, if I could, if I could assemble like five or six people and maybe this is like just a pet project, but we worked on this and then got some funding. Like I just, I, the problem is you'd have to attach into, you'd have to attach into, you know, so many different, like you'd have to attach into Spotify, into Netflix, into Amazon, into iTunes, into, you know, all these different sort of proprietary platforms. Some of them are more willing to give their API access to you than others are. But it's like even then, like I just I just don't know. 
you know, I just, and, but, but even then I wouldn't want, like, let's say I buy, or let's say I watch five episodes as I'm, as I'm, you know, often, as I often do, I watch five episodes of like Silicon Valley in a row. Right. And then I, and then the next day I watch the same five again, because it's just, you know, it's pleasant background stuff that I can work to. Right. Or I just like those become my like go-to like, Hey, I just want something in the background that's familiar and fun. But Netflix goes or Amazon Prime goes, oh, you really re- – like we're just going to only show you stuff that's like that. I'm like, well, yeah. no. I, there's different circumstances under why I watch these so many different times, so I wouldn't want to be pigeonholed. So it's like there's so many factors that go into like consumption that I think I, I just don't know. You know, Maybe Amazon, Amazon's in probably the best position to solve the problem because they have access to so much media um, and so much customer data. But right. the fact that they're not doing it bothers me too. It's like you know who – you just gave me a chilling thought, which is maybe Netflix looks at my viewing history and goes, God, no, nobody watches this much 30 Rock and Parks and Rec except for people who love the shit out of Gabriel Iglesias. Oh, <laughs> Let, let's sell him hard on this new Gabriel Iglesias. But that's special. a flaw. But that's a flaw. In that. I mean, didn't Netflix like what five years ago pay? Stupid oh, yeah. Money? They had a bounty. Yeah, like a bounty to whoever could help them tighten up their algorithm. And yep. I have yet to see the results of that that experiment. Like nothing, I mean, you know, nothing seemed to really change in my queue or the way it sort of. You know, in fact, it got worse. If anything, I have this weird feeling that th- that there was a terrible collapse with that. Let's look that up mm. and uh, report report on it in a future podcast. I have a feeling that like something something terrible happened. Like it didn't work or something. The guy they paid or oh, interesting, the lady they paid or whatever. I know. Like, should we talk la- about what? Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, should we talk about what comics we're reading? Yeah, why not? <laughs> so, like, in an effort, <laughs> which is where to share, and maybe, maybe, maybe you out there as a listener will find something you love in our list. But yeah, I think that's let's do that because, like, this we don't get an overwhelming amount of feedback, but I have gotten feedback from one of the few friends who uh, loyally listens, who said he always likes it when we do comic episodes and mention weird stuff we're reading. Excellent. So, well, and towards your point, like if we can at least be a filter some yeah. way, yeah. Like let's, you know, let's pass that on, right? Indeed. Well, absolutely. Maybe that's you know, <clears throat> kind of a, as a as a side note. We are the filter. Shit, Taylor. We've been fucking this up all along. Well, I mean, maybe that's something their network could you know take on and, and be more deliberate about. I mean, I, that's yeah. We should start putting uh, lists like this on um on the website. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's go. Let's let's. You do one. I'll do one. Like let's. Well, I, I thought we could start with this uh, just absolutely gorgeous gift that you gave me uh, at the end of the year last year, which is a a book that you have read and and um, gifted onto me, which is called "The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai." Ah, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, which I don't. The closest I can come to describing this, we and I think it's very comical that on the back. Above the barcode, it says graphic novel, and it is a graphic novel in the sense that, uh, like Chris Ware's um, uh, uh, The Smartest Kid in the World, is that what it's called, Smartest Boy in the World, Jimmy Corrigan, is um, in, in that way that it's a graphic novel. Like, it is not, you know, it's not a story, like, front to back, um, but there is linear story. Like it's it's the way I described it to you because I of all the places I was in D.C. in December and went to their um was it the Be- Betcher I forget what the oh, Sackler 
um, Museum of Asian, like Asian art. And in their gift shop, this was there. And I just yeah. picked it up and kind of thumbed through it. And I was like, oh my God, it is, it is part history book, part autobiography, but not really part right. like sort of collection of, of like this guy's work, but not really. And, and I say not really, because at, when I first picked it up, I was like, oh my God, here's this guy named Charlie Chan who like, we've never heard of, who's been this like unsung, like hero of Singapore, is, is, is it Singapore, isn't it? Yeah. Singaporean um, art. Yeah. Like, and then, and like, he's finally having his day. And then like, it says, you know, compiled by Sonny Liu. What you pointed out to me, or you at least sort of turned my eye to, and that later we confirmed, this whole thing is completely made up. And it's not like they were trying to, to, to deceive us. It's just that it was so well done, you don't realize that Sonny Liu created not only the fictional character of Charlie Chan, but all his fictional work, his fictional backstory, and in, in doing so tells the story of like how Singapore evolved culturally, politically, like – the whole thing is like this just tour de force of like art and information and like storytelling that like I have not seen in comics. I don't think ever. And it, honestly, I, even I, I'm still confused where the, where the truth in that is, which mm -hmm. is like, I, like I kind of want it to just sort of live in ambiguity mm -hmm. for me where um, like when I Googled it, there was an NPR story, called an imaginary cartoonist draws a very real homeland and there's a quote on the inside of the book that says by reflecting on the life and work of a comics creator whose career spanned half a century uh the art of charlie chan hot chai comments wryly on singapore's past and blah blah so that quote makes it sound like no this is a real commentary on like this is a real story but then yeah. the npr story made it sound like no charlie chan hot chai is a total fabrication yeah and it's I like I said, I just wanted to kind of live in that ambiguity of like I don't really know what is true. Yeah. Uh, it's that the truth about the history of Singapore, I guess, is what's enthralling. Yeah. But I almost feel like we need to describe it more. So it is a it's a hardbound book, mm -hmm. and one page will look like normal sequential comic book strip, mm -hmm. um, and the next will be like a perfectly relict like old comic book cover. From like the fifties uh, or something. Like exactly. And then there'll be something that looks, you know, where it's clearly like a comic panel. Like I'm looking at one right now, which is clearly a comic panel, but it's been drawn to look like a photograph that's been taped into yeah. the page. Yeah. And then above it is like typewritten copy sort of describing this moment in time. So it's just such an interesting mix of like, it's a mix of media while it's all still ink on paper, you know? Yeah, totally. And then it, and what makes it even more sort of layered or confusing, depending on your take, is right. that throughout the book, the sort of cartoon of Sonny Lou, the compiler, you know, quote unquote, will appear and sort of give you like cliff notes. Right. It's like, you know, you're reading something, he'll go, at this point in Charlie's life, blah, blah, blah. And then like, you know, Singapore was being taken over by the, by the British. So Charlie thought doing an alien comic would sort of be his commentary on it. So you're just like, so is that real? So like, it, it's almost best to go into this, not even asking the question, what is real and what is not? Right. Because it's exactly. so damn good at recreating kind of everything that you're just like, I mean, yes, the, all the stuff that is sort of loyal to the history of Singapore, like political figures, that kind of stuff, that's all real. But sort of this other context or this other layer of this this artist and and the the 
the thing that really struck me about the, you know, just sort of the way they present Charlie Chan's life is that they go from, you know, they give him like a, a history where he started drawing, you know, comics when he was 10 and he met this other guy and they wanted to do comics together. And it shows him like, and it's almost like it has this heartbreaking moment later on where they show him like finally leaving Singapore to go to San Diego Comic-Con. And it gives you like sort of the what he what charlie chan the character wants that experience to be and like everybody at comic con's like you're brilliant where have you been we love you we can't wait to work with you and then it shows you what really happened but not really because the whole thing is you know fake so it's like it shows him like at comic con like nobody nobody's paying him any attention like you know he walks up to this table and the guy's like oh that's that's cute thanks bye you know it's just like very sort of like the, the harsh reality of the industry um and so, like, this whole time, you're, like, you really want to root for this character of Charlie Chan, and, like, all his comics and stuff are amazing, but then you're, like, so this is all from the imagination of this other guy who is real. So it is yeah. just, like, you know, it's, I, there's so much to gain from it that, like, I, it'll take me probably three or four more sort of trips through to really sort of digest it and take it all in and, and just really, you know, appreciate it all the more. Yeah, it's amazing, um, and thank you publicly now for this gift because it's uh, it's just like permanently got a place on my coffee table. So that oh, anytime I'm sitting here, it's like oh, I'll just pick that up and start going through it again. It's it's incredible. Well, and, and um, kind of to our other conversation, like I thought of you instantly because a, this is like something I'd never seen before in the medium, but b, yeah. like it really talks about the artist's struggle in an interesting, meaningful yeah. way, which I thought would be really sort of you know interesting to you. Um, not that there's like direct parallels, but just sort of just this idea of, you know, trying to evolve and trying to find an audience and sort of things that you've talked about or have struggled with. I just, I was like, man, this, this could, I think you connect with this. So it's just such a cool, like I have a copy and I immediately was like, I, Todd needs this yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's incredible. Um, should I jump into another comic? Um, yeah. As, as anyone who has listened to this, uh, podcast, when we talk about comics, you and I flip-flop <laughs> on who is buying superhero comics versus who is not. It's really and weird. It's I personally flip-flop <laughs> on buying single issues versus uh, trade paperbacks and such. And I will just uh, adamantly, I think the last time we did a comics review, I was like, that's it for single issues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of single issues. And I've since then started my first ever pull list and have gone absolutely ape shit i only have one comic on the pull list by the way which is motor crush by cameron stewart and babs tar which is on image um and uh a true confession i have not actually read the first two issues yet i just love them as a creative team so much that as soon as it came out i was like put that on the pull list i'm working my way through the stack to get to it um but yeah i've gone nuts on uh on superhero comics especially um so i'll, I'll hit two real quick are we mentioned these in one of our um comic-con wrap-ups uh our friend emily kelly had mentioned getting the rebirth copies of batgirl and birds of prey signed because she really yeah. liked the teams on those and i love the artist on batgirl uh rafael albuquerque um who uh uh crap i think did a vampire comic that i now can't remember um but they have they have diverged for me in my liking. Like Batgirl, um, again, the team of Cameron Stewart and Babs Tar, they were on Batgirl um after 
So some new 52 stuff that uh, I want to say Gail Simone was doing, but I'm not really sure. But um, they took Batgirl and put her in this area of Gotham called Burnside, which was very Brooklyn-esque and surrounded her by hipsters and had her doing sort of, you know, very uh, – like, you know, just very up-to-the-minute – uh, modern things, you know, like her, she was investigating social media, uh, you know, entrepreneurs who seemed to be doing something kind of evil with the data they were collecting and stuff like that. And uh, Babs and Cameron also redesigned um, Batgirl's look and gave her like a, a leather jacket that was purple and sort of more combat boots. And, mm. you know, she just, it, she's looked awesome. And I love, I love the character of Batgirl and that actually made the new 52 Batgirl okay with me. I was fine to see it be Barbara Gordon if she was going to be like a new cool Barbara Gordon and they weren't just trying to retcon all this crap, you know, um, about her killing joke injury and <laughs> mm-hmm. which they had tried to do when they did the new 52. Um, so anyway, it was awesome. And what uh, Albuquerque and the team on the, on the, and the new creative team on it, sorry, I'm walking over to, to find this to a J Benson and S Benson, maybe the, Nope, that's the wrong one. Mm. Shit. Picked up the wrong. Uh, Larson Albuquerque and, and McCaig are the creative team on the new thing. So what they've done for the first run is put Batgirl, taking her out of Burnside and sent her to Asia where she's traveling around. Oh, wow. um, and it's just been the first six issues have just been a cool, storyline where um it's real you know it's real quick and she runs into this old flame slash friend that she has to kind of bail out um so she of course inevitably gets drawn into the batgirl uniform even though she's you know kind of on sort of on vacation and um it's just been it's been a cool uh um adventure for her and it was a good start so they're not starting in the same place that um the batgirl burnside left off so that's been great the Birds of Prey storyline, which is the title is actually called Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. Um, I have not been into it all. I don't know what happened to the Birds of Prey during New 52. I checked out of the title, but they're bringing the team back together, Huntress and Black Canary and Batgirl. Do you think, and, you think that's in, I mean, is that in any way sort of in preparation for the movie they've talked about doing in the next year or two? So I think so. I'm pretty sure that the movie you're referring to is actually the Gotham City Sirens, which will be the Harley Quinn movie. But they've talked about the Birds of Prey sort of being the antagonist. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, you know, that's that's an interesting thought. Um, but uh, it's and it's not that it's a bad comic or anything. This I think of the two was the one that um, Emily was more interested in. Um, because she really likes the Huntress. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Emily. And it's just the one where eh, it's hard. It's hard being a comic book lover who gets old, because mm. I I've now seen the Huntress's story told so many times, and I'm like more bored of it every time it gets told. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only ever interesting to me when she was Earth 2's daughter of Catwoman and Batman. That Whoa, made really? sense. That was how that was who Huntress was. Holy on crap. A, no on idea. an alternate Earth. And then with the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, they retconned her into this thing where she's like the daughter of like a mob boss. And uh I just I don't like it at all. Mm. But and and it's and it, you know, it's like 
maybe she's a good foil for Batgirl because Batgirl lives by the the Bat family's rules of like you don't kill and you know you you try to just have a quip and you know kick somebody in the balls and tie them up or whatever and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how they fight bad guys whereas Huntress is like I'll fucking murder that guy mm-hmm. um, but it just for me the dynamics not working in the comic and uh, I picked up the first like maybe five issues or something and just never it just failed to kind of hook me so um, yeah so I'll be moving on from that. I hate to give a negative review of something because usually we only talk about stuff we love, but that is that is what I've been reading. Um, so I'll, I'll hand it to you. What what have you been on? Um, it's, as you uh, said, maybe, maybe you should start with the one that in our nuts in our in our, in our nuts. Oh Jesus Christ! In our notes, you have one that just says, "Oh fuck this book." <laughs> well, I kind of feel like after I gave such a negative review, maybe yeah. you should start. All right, all right. So so unlike it's so weird, like you said earlier, like every time. It's like we're always on the opposite. So one of us is into, you know, superhero stuff or single issues. The other is into no, I'm you know I'm into not graphic novels, man. That's what I'm into. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, or physical versus digital. It's 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 kind of weird. Our our it's like a sine wave of our tastes that just sort of intersects at interesting points. Um, I so I am mostly in a graphic novel mode right now. Oh, okay. However, I was a big fan of the He Man and the Masters of the Universe run that they did via dc um over the last couple years that ended last year um with the end of the eternity war and so they left that with a you know i won't even get into the story of like what happened but they they left it on a cool sort of ending where it's like okay they've set up all these stories like they could easily do a she-ra series now they could easily do a um you know a continued he-man series and then what they you know so they kind of left it like you know we'll pick this back up again soon so what they announced uh, last year, they're like, what we're going to do is He-Man and the Thundercats. We're going to have a mashup, a team-up. I was like, oh, my God. If you take now, where He-Man is at the end of Eternity War, that's going to be badass. Because, like, where Skeletor, what happened to Skeletor, like, everything kind of makes sense. And, like, their whole, you know, sort of the, the primer was, you know, Mumra is going to be the big, the big bad. And he's going to try to get the, you know, He-Man sword to, you know, fight against Lionel's, you know, sword of omens. Everything's on paper made i was i was really excited for this well if you go to amazon and just you know even look at the kindle copy it it is utter garbage like <laughs> i i don't know how else to say it like the art is just ridiculously lazy and sloppy the storyline has nothing to do with anything that we saw during the eternity war like any like it doesn't pick up after that it doesn't even pick up anywhere in between it it's just like it's like this is a story that exists completely independent of that so like it's really confusing to figure out like where is adam and he-man like where is that whole world at this point and just the idea like i i I read through the first issue and it was a struggle and i'm just like i have no interest in continuing on like it's just the whole thing seems like a the biggest wasted opportunity that's you know of the year because you would think like they've been, He-Man has been out of the public consciousness, I assume, for a long time, and to introduce it to new a new audience, if you've set it up with all this like this other series, it's like you should definitely build on that. Like, don't start over again. They left it. I mean, they were doing uh, the, the the new Masters of the Universe run. I think it started in 2012. So oh, it's been okay. going for a while, and every issue, you know, they've had different phases and different sort of story arcs, but it's always built on what's come before, right? So it's always been even their little. At one point, they had a um, 
Masters of the Universe versus the DC like DC superheroes sort of crossover. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was like a four part um, mini series, but it was in the middle of what was going on during the He Man run. So like threads of that of that mini series stretched back into the he-man run so it all connected really nicely i was like oh perfect and that was you know just as epic of a mashup like he-man versus superman was kind of you know and then eventually at the end they all team up and everything but so you thought okay they left he-man at such a cool place at the end of the eternity war at the end of that entire run that it would be so easy to just pick that back up again you know if you were a new reader you'd be like wow he-man's costume is different and like i how did this all happen it would encourage you to go back and you know pick up that series and it's just oh god it's i mean (laughs) even if the art was amazing which it is not at all like at all like the story just it just falls so flat but then insult to injury the art is just utter garbage i mean the, i cannot i cannot speak lowly enough about this terrible art i oh. have a i have a great uh segue here which is uh my friend and the artist eric coda uh, uh texted a group of us a picture today of um uh some of his collectibles on display and he referred to he-man's um uh pal battle cat <laughs> i believe i believe we established that was who he-man has this cat called battle cat um, yeah yeah but eric referred to him as tiger buddy <laughs> which well when i said when he did his- i said is amazing and that, that's what i'm gonna call him from now on is tiger buddy tiger buddy but well, when a uh, battle cat isn't powered up his uh his sort of clark kent name is cringer so it's you know <laughs> Very much, he kind of, I mean, in that form, he very much is a tiger buddy. Like, he, I mean, it's like a green tiger. So, so my segue is that Eric is drawing the astonishing, oh, I'm sorry, the extraordinary X-Men. There's so many X-Men. Um, so uh, I have been checked out of X-Books since number 600 of some X-Men title. Um, and... Uh, when I heard Eric was on Extraordinary X-Men, I grabbed number 16, which is the issue before the one he drew. Um, he drew, he did all the art in number 17. Um, and I believe he is coming back on for, I, I think number 18 is is back to the um, artist who was on before him. And then I think Eric's picking up 19 and possibly more, hopefully, fingers crossed. He, maybe, maybe he'll have some uh, ongoing work with this because his work nice. is awesome. Um, I love his art, uh, and uh, I wish I could tell you more about the story, um, but I don't know what the hell is going on in the X universe these days. Uh, one thing that is very cool in some of the Marvel books is they do sort of a uh, almost like a Star Wars crawl at the beginning. The very first page nice. has the main characters, um, like a little profile picture of each of them, and then it and then it gives you like a little rundown of what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I'm staring at it right now, I I would go, oh, that's what I read. Wow. <laughs> so um, it is a little weird, like the time traveling and the like different universes and stuff that they are in. Um, but yeah, again, like I, you know, I, I love Eric's work, and um, and actually, it's I'd be hard pressed to find like an X Men uh, artist that that I don't like. And although I say that it's like, I bet a thousand of them will appear. Um, But, but I, I just generally like the way people, you know, draw the X-Men. So even grabbing the issue uh, before and after his, 
uh, will be, you know, fun for me. And uh, I'll keep reading it, you know, as long as he's drawing it for sure. Does he know what his run is yet or is it just TBD? <clears throat> he, he may know and he's just not able to tell people. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, and it's very cool too because his Marvel debut was with uh, – crap, I wish I had it right in front of me. But he – when he did – the first issue – I believe the first issue Eric ever drew for Marvel was um, one story in an X-Men anthology, although nice. it was just like one issue split into four short stories. So okay. I definitely feel like, you know, they recognize his, uh, yeah, his, his, you know, his characterization of the X-Men is, uh, you know, worth, worth checking out. So well, I'm going to go yeah. check it out just it's always fun to have a tangential connection to somebody I know, who, I know. who made the thing. You know? And it's so great. Like, again, like go listen to the, our podcast archives. We talked to Eric's uh, about his first experience in Artist Alley at Comic-Con. That's right. Uh, this past summer. So that's kind of a cool, uh, cool tie in there to go check out. Absolutely. More stuff. So what's your next close. pick? <laughs> um, so I've, I have a couple, I'm trying to think of the one I want to do first. Um, I'll, I'll do the newest one first. So, a book I picked up about two weeks ago, and it's a it's a it's it's a collected you know graphic novel. It's meant to be one thing, but it was I think it was issues at one point. Is the series the Omega Men? And I've heard about the Omega Men for a little while. It's been brought up. Um, typically, when you talk about Watchmen, at some point somebody in a comment section or just in general is going to be like, "If you like Watchmen, go get Omega Men." It's you know, it's very much the same kind of thing. It's not. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not apples to apples um, in that comparison. Like I, you know, Watchmen is again sui generis. It is one of a kind. It's you know, it does things that no one else can do. Omega Men does have some really cool stuff, and what it is is a sort of space opera allegory to the Iraq War, as seen through the eyes of Kyle Rayner, the White Lantern. Whoa! It starts off, and I highly, highly recommend if you're going to get it, get it digitally. Because the way it the way it flows on Comicsology or Kindle is is so in, it's so much it's it's so crucial to the experience. Interesting. Like, um, the panels are set up in such a way that it's like uh, it's almost like um, kind of like Black Mirror, where there's like a, a you know a, a, you'll see like a you know two or three panels of just something happening with no dialogue. You're like, what's going on? And then a black panel with like you know you know a, a few white words would appear and then a couple more panels of just like something happening and then again and then maybe it will like you know the fourth time it happens will be like the credits you know so it feels very sort of cinematic or it feels very you know tv like in the way it sort of executes and you get that you get that in full when you see it on kindle and it's it, it's sort of i don't think it's part of canon i think it's like a one-off you know sort of elseworlds kind of thing but for the majority of the book, Kyle Rayner does not have his ring. And at this point, he's, he has become the White Lantern. And he goes to the system, I think it's called the Vega system, um, to negotiate some peace between um, the Citadel, which is kind of the governing body, and the Omega Men, who are sort of these terrorist resistance you know, um, group kinds of guys. But to do that, no Green Lantern or any lantern is allowed to wear their ring in the Vega system, so he has to um, discard his ring. So for the, the good chunk of the book, he doesn't have it. And right off the bat, the you know the very first panels you see is this this figure sitting with like a bag over his head, and you know very sort of typical kind of terrorist 
um, you know, propaganda video where like, hey, we've got this guy. They pull the bag off. It's Kyle Rayner. And on camera, they kill him. And you're like, what the heck? I mean, like right off the bat, you're like, holy mm. crap. Um, it fuzzes out so you don't actually see them kill him, but that's heavily implied. Spoilers, and this happens right away, so it's not like you know this is spoiling the book. He isn't killed, but he's drafted into the Omega Men and has to sort of live among them um, as their prisoner slash sort of, you know, he's kind of their weapon. They put a bomb in his neck so he can't escape or they'll blow him up. There's just like the whole thing is like intense as hell. Um, and every what's really cool is that every issue so like i think it's like 12 chapters or 12 issues that make up the whole the whole thing all the covers are are designed by the same person and it's really cool on the kindle or the on comicsology you see the when it transitions to the next chapter the cover appears kind of in its in in, in sort of like a like a poster like hey this is a, a a propaganda poster and you flip it and it fades and transitions into the real cover where it's like ripped and like spray painted like yeah. omega man over it or like they've you know they've they've defiled it in some way so it's kind of like the whole thing works really 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 well digitally like i don't know if i'll ever own this physically because it's just it would it's not going to be the same experience so i highly recommend doing it that way but it's some um, if you like Green Lantern lore, which I do, like of all the DC stuff, it's probably my favorite. Um, especially like White Lantern lore, like this gives you a whole new twist on Kyle Rayner. It really shows you like space politics in a really real grounded way. And yeah, it's it's an allegory for the Iraq War. So you're, as you go, you're gonna be like, oh wow, a lot of this <laughs> is really familiar to me. Um, and the ending, the ending is a little bit disappointing. Not not hugely, like it, it works, but there's something in the last couple pages that you're just like, what? Like, so it, it, <laughs> you kind of have to like, if you get to the end, just be be prepared. It's not going to be quite as tidy of a bow as you'd want. You know, it does work, so it's not like it's you know it's a failure there, but just like there's something that happens at the very end. You're like, I don't, huh? What? Like it just it's a little confusing. Other other than that, I was I was I mean I read the whole thing in a night. It was. I mean, I was cool. sick, and I read the whole thing in a night. It was that compelling. Nice. So the well, Omega I'll, uh, Men. I'll uh, jump into something um, which we mentioned on podcast, like, in a, probably in season zero, like back when we first were trying to figure this out. You and I Way both back. randomly picked up the first issue of a, a image title called Huck. Um, oh yes. I, I also feel like an idiot because. The artist on that was Raphael Albuquerque, who is on, oh, nice. on Batgirl. And so a minute ago when I was like, I can't remember the other book he did. I really liked. But it's Huck. Um, and so the first trade of that is out. And I don't know if we ever mentioned this on the podcast, but I know when you and I were like a couple issues in, you know, I was buying the single issues. And I was like, whoa, it just like the story got like, you know. It just it, like it didn't not that it went off the rails. It just went to this place that I wasn't expecting. And I, I kind so basically it's the story of a small town guy that is basically Superman um, with uh, although they don't call him detective powers. His is his he has this great skill at tracking things down. So like you lose your wedding ring at the bottom of the lake and he can find it, you know, and not only can he find it, but he can dive down to the bottom of the lake. He can jump, you know out of the water and, you know, onto a train and then, uh, you know, run, uh, run home. And like, you know, he's never tired. He's super strong. 
uh, and he can find anything you lost. <clears throat> so I, I read a couple issues and honestly just couldn't didn't keep up after that uh, as things go. And then when book one came out, I thought it was such a perfect uh, story and in, encapsulation of like it has a great beginning and it has a uh, you know it, it if anything um, it's sort of it sort of rushes through some stuff to get a lot of details in of the story, but the direction of it is so cool to read. And, you know, it was just another of those trades where I just sat down and read the whole thing. and was like, Oh, that was super enjoyable. I really love that. You, so, said, you said Mark Millar, right? Yeah. It's Millar and uh, Albuquerque and uh, Dave McCaig again, who is uh, must be the McCaig that's on Batgirl right now. Nice. Yeah. So. I, you know, ever Mark Millar can kind of do no wrong in my book. So just from that standpoint alone, it's totally worth it. I would say this: if you're gonna pick it up, try to find the variant covers because That's the true. the variants are all movie poster homages to '80s movies. So yeah, like a Ghostbusters one and a Blues, Blues Brothers, Brothers one. Yeah. yeah, and like an ET one. Um, so it's just from a collectible standpoint, it's they're really fun. Um, they did a really yeah, good job. That's on true. Those. Yeah. So, what's next on your list? Um, let's see. I got two more. So, I uh, over Christmas, my lovely girlfriend got me something that was on my list, but all the same, a book called Local. Um, and it is a you know it is a standard graphic novel. You know, I don't think this ever came out in separate issues or anything. Um, hardcover. Uh, and it's man, where do, how do I describe it? It's all black and white. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous black and white. Works really, really well um in that format and uh it's it's a collection of stories about this girl and i think it's like 12 different stories each one is named after a city and a state where she is it's not clear i don't think it's chronological but it sort of follows her around her life and each story thematically is very different so um when it starts out like the very first one it's her i think in like portland and she's at this gas station and her drugged out boyfriend is making her go into the gas station to, I think, steal something or, or, or get something. So it shows her um, going through all these different scenarios of what would happen. Like if she goes in and tries to, you know, she gets caught, this would happen. And it kind of resets itself. So at first you think it's like a time travel book. It's not that. It's just that particular story is showing her going through every scenario before she gets the one that works. And then that's the real one. Right. Um, another story is her at a movie theater and she's a, you know, she's a box office attendant and she, there's just like this drawer of name tags and every day she puts on a different name tag and in doing so she has like a, she affects like a different persona. So somebody could come to the you know ticket counter and go, Hey, uh, my daughter was here at a movie theater and she was, and one of your employees was really rude to her. It was Carla. And she goes, Oh yeah, that's Carla. Yeah. She, we fired her. She doesn't work here anymore. And you find out that this girl, like the day before had put on the Carla name tag and like in another name tag, she's like flirting with this guy a little too much. Um, huh. And eventually that guy catches her. So in every, in every story, something happens that makes her have to leave town. Um, and so she's always in every story, she's trying to make that town or that city her home. She's trying to like make the circumstances work for her. And in so, every time she ends up having to leave because she's messed up somehow. But, but it is well established that this is the same person in the same timeline doing this, or do you ever get the sense it's jumping to different realities? No, no, th there's none of that. It's, it may jump timeline. So it may like show her okay. at age 34, then at age 26. Like, I don't think well, it's necessarily linear. Now, one of the stories is just a, it shows her nephew 
and it's just a bunch of um postcards that she writes her nephew and you get to see like so you get to see her life through these postcards but the nephew has a lot of problems and then he comes back around later on like in another story so it's like it's interconnected um it's just really i mean it's heavy it's funny it's heartbreaking like the ending is really really appropriate um you know it, it, it at the end of the basically at the end of the story she has to come to terms with all the people and places that she's abandoned as she's cool. been trying to find a sense of, of of home so it's just like i mean i i had just it came up for me in like a you know 100 greatest graphic novels of all time lists and i just it kind of seemed gotcha. interesting and so i put it on my list and i'm so glad i did so glad i did so i probably worth noting like is this one you read digitally or in print what was the format uh, i got it as a hardcover print Okay. Um, I feel like it could work well either way. Okay. Um, the art is gorgeous enough that you will want to own it um, yeah. in print. So, you know, for that reason alone, I'd grab it that way. But I, I, you know, if you just want to spend less as a Kindle or a comiXology copy, I think that would, you know, I think it'd work just as fine there too. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll plug, a, uh, I got one more series that I've been reading. Um, I actually grabbed the first issue, uh, when I was up in Denver in November, uh, with you, uh, which is the Great Lakes Avengers. Oh yeah, is a, I, it is the a a Marvel, and now I don't know if the Great Lakes Avengers actually existed in the past. Um, the storyline has a representative, like a lawyer from the Avengers, visiting this one particular character and saying, uh, in order to settle these lawsuits, we're going to allow you to open up your your chapter of the yeah. Great Lakes Avengers again. That's awesome. Um, it's definitely uh, in the vein of Squirrel Girl. In fact, mm. I think she uh, is included or at least visited or mentioned or will become a Great Lakes Avenger or something. Um, and it's very, you know, the vibe I wanted to get from it was that Legion of Superheroes vibe from the 80s where it was like yeah. a bunch of superheroes with real superpowers that were terrible, like just totally yeah, useless yeah. superpowers. Not Not like Mystery Men where they kind of had – they didn't really have superpowers. Uh, you know, they just had skills that they weren't very good at. But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, so I was amused through like, eh, you know, one and a half issues. Um, I've got issue three ready to read, so I haven't like given up on it yet. But I almost wish it had been weirder and crazier. It's kind mm -hmm. of the thing, you know, like in a world where Chew exists. Yeah. I would yeah. love to see someone interact with an established legacy universe like that like this and this is such a great template to do it through like yeah come up with five useless avengers but yeah. have them interact with the real avengers and show yeah. how nutty that could be yeah, you know, yeah that that was so appealing to me so they can still go there it's a you know it's a monthly series um but uh, you know at least uh the you know first two issues hadn't quite gotten there yet um, and I just know when I finished the second one, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take a beat before I dive back into this. So I'm looking um, at the, uh, I'm looking at Wikipedia and apparently in the, you know, sort of the back issues of the historical issues, Hawkeye is one of the, uh, trainers. Oh, um, so there, so this was a thing back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I think it first came out, I think in 89. And so oh. they, uh, in fact, if you look at the team name section of Wikipedia, it goes, the team name has changed on several occasions. The Avenger Hawkeye first protests their use of the name Avengers. Yeah. And eventually the G GLA sent a cease and desist order. Um, or no, there is, eventually they were sent a cease and desist order by the Mar Maria Stark Foundation. So it's like, 
they could they could lean into that pretty heavy if they i mean that would be that would yeah. be really fun i mean i still have hope that like uh we've mentioned on a on a past podcast uh <clears throat> one of the creators of chew i'm pretty sure it was john layman that said this on a in a series of tweets that i just thought was so fascinating was like he was saying he would love to see the big two do story arcs that were just so absurd and like out of canon and continuity like just you know put captain america on a dinosaur for five issues yeah yeah you know, just stuff like that would be so fun and like it would deconstruct kind of the the you know this whole issue of like the mcu where everything has to be like in canon and like yeah. where the comics are informing the movies and back and forth and i you know i think we could use some experimentation like that and so i, I would certainly hope that like the Great Lakes Avengers seems like a perfect inroad to do that. So, oh, God, you yeah. know, get on it. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on that. That sounds fun. Yeah, so um, what's your last one? My final one is appropriately called The Final Inkle. Um, if you – No, spell inkle. <laughs> I-N-C-A-L. So incal, incal, I, yeah, there's different okay. pronunciations. Um, and once again, Alejandro Yodorowsky to the, you know, to the rescue. He, uh, right after the – the Dune movie fell apart. He and uh, Jean Giraud, otherwise known as Moebius, uh, got together and took a, channeled a lot of their ideas into an amazing, trippy, weird, like just b- ridiculously good but also bizarre graphic novel called The Inkle or La Inkle if you're you know French. Um, and that's that was sort of like you know that that is always listed in like you know the top twenty greatest graphic novels of all time like it's it's always on that list because it is just so trippy and psychedelic and interesting and you know you it's take I mean it's it's a, it's kind of a hard read um, but the art is very I mean if you like Moebius good lord go buy that now final inkle is a you know st- written by Yodorowsky but he brought in a new artist because. Um, at one point, he was going to use Moebius, but Moebius got busy and then eventually died. So he brought in a new artist. Typical uh, excuse of an artist. Yeah, exactly. Um, hang on. What is his name? Uh, uh, Jose Ladron. And what it's interesting is that this is a sequel, sort of prequel, but the way the story works, it's very circular. So it picks up right where the Inkle leaves off, which – the inkle ends exactly as it begins with the same exact scene. <laughs> so this almost like the inkle begins with this character, John Diefel falling into this like crazy, like, you know, basically like, um, you know, the, what you, the city in um, fifth element, imagine that where it's just like, you know, endlessly tall buildings just going all the way down to like the center of the earth. He's falling and falling and falling. And so it starts that way. It ends that way. The final inkle starts with that same thing with him going, I have to remember. I have to remember. And it starts off – a lot of the beginning of it is very similar, but then it goes in this crazy tangential direction. So it's almost like an alternative reality version of the Inkle. So it's way more focused, which is actually hmm. kind of nice because it's like it, – it took me a while to wrap my head around Inkle. Like it's – even still, I'm like you almost need to like take a college class to like really understand what's going on. This is a lot more straightforward still has a lot of really interesting trippy stuff but way more focused way you know way and the art is gorgeous like i mean i love moebius but good lord um jose ladron just i mean it's the detail and everything is just so rich and um and i yeah i'm 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 probably gonna i mean i bought it uh digitally but i'm probably gonna buy the the hardcover because it's just like it's gorgeous Um, is it is it new ish 
It's new-ish. I think it came out, let me see, when did the final, it's three volumes collected. I think the final volume came out in 2015. Wow. So, okay. yeah, the, I think there was like a, a, a weird pause between like the second and third volume. Um, but I remember seeing it like in early 2015, like in a lot of comic shops all of a sudden. So, yeah. That, you, I feel like, is this what you were looking for at one of the comic shops we visited like last February or something? I was looking for just the regular Inkle. Oh, okay. Uh, which at that point was out of print. It's now back in print because nice. all things Jodorowsky are, are hip again. So like they're like, put it all out. Um, yeah. But um, Jodorowsky is cyclical. Yeah, seriously. I mean, <laughs> it really is. But um, uh, Humanoids, which is sort of the imprint that puts out all his stuff and just a lot of good European like import stuff um, is the publisher. So they do, they do really good work. Um, cool. Here it says May 28th, 2014. So I think... It, I think it came out in 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. It's not like the final volume can't be much older than that. Yeah. Um, but good Lord, the art. So if you like the Inkle or if you have an appreciation for it but haven't read it and want to sort of get into that world, start with – you could start with this book because it's so gorgeous and focused. It almost gives you like sort of the taste of what's to come and then go back and read Inkle. You'll kind of be more attuned to the characters and stuff. Um, there are a few characters who don't make it into this one because, again, it is so focused and it tangents. Once it starts tangenting, it's it's pretty drastic. So some characters you would have met in the you know in the original story don't appear in this one. Um, but you know it's it's got it's it's got a lot going on. So I would definitely definitely pick it up if you like anything Yodorowsky or you know the Yodoverse as it's called. Like this is this cool. is definitely one to to grab. Well, what I'll uh, <clears throat> I'll wrap it up with one giant. Here's, here's what's on the shelf, because as I mentioned, I've just been pulling tons of single issues. And so, so it's kind of like every week or so I get to chew through so much of the stack. Um, and so there's still a lot in that stack. Nice. <laughs> still, I'm still hate reading DK3. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Uh, <laughs> I've given up on that. I, I'm just, I'm just going to bear it out to the end. Unless, unless after book eight, if they announce like, oh, we've, just, we've commissioned another eight issues, then I'm going to just bail. But at least I, you know, I feel like I'm so close. They're on book seven now. I've got no confidence that this is in any way going to wrap up in any cogent way. Like it's just the fact that he's like, "We're going to do four more." I'm like, oh. I, know. I I do have on pretty good authority that that eight is it. That they're done with eight, and they're on seven now. So that's that's what's waiting for me to read. Um, I picked up book one of uh, uh, a comic called Supergirl Being Super by Mariko Tamaki and uh, Joelle Jones is the artist on it. And I love Joelle's work. Um, she did several books with uh, Jamie S. Rich. And mm. I have mentioned those before. They did a, a they did a noir uh, novel that I really like called uh, You Have Killed Me, which is, of course, a reference to a Morrissey song. Uh, and Jamie signed my copy with another Morrissey quote um, in it. Uh, but I love Joelle's art. And, uh, and basically, anytime like fanboys get shitty about something online because women have created it i'm like well that's an instant purchase for me so yeah um, <laughs> as soon as they caught any amount of shit I, I was just like i don't need to know anything else and i bought it um but like i said i love joelle's uh, art and so i'm happy to have that to read uh i checked back into a star wars uh title just because it looks so intriguing called dr afra Hmm. Um, but like I said, I have not read this yet. I think there are two issues in, um, also waiting for me to read. I, I grabbed two image titles that I had not seen before. One is called rock stars. Issue number one just came out and the other one is called God country. 
Um, and God Country is one of those where, I, you know, I saw someone I trust had a tweet that was like, oh, you definitely need to be reading this. So that was another instant purchase last week. Um, and I mentioned Motor Crush uh, before um, as my one pull list item. And uh, <laughs> and then I guess really the last thing on that on uh, that giant stack of single issues. I'm just saying all this so it'll, I'll be accountable for it, and I'll have to actually read them. Is uh, the unworthy Thor, which is where they've brought uh, Man Thor back. Um, I assume the arc is for him to kind of reclaim his worthiness, uh, as uh, Jane is still Thor, I, I believe in you know um, in word and in deed. Uh, but it's got that same art that I've raved about with, um, you know, with the mighty Thor, uh, <clears throat> when, uh, when Jane picked up the hammer. So mm -hmm. the art alone, I was like, oh man, I love this. And, and I, I know a guy that's working on it. So that also makes me intrigued. Um, yeah. And then, uh, a, a stack of, of trade paperbacks taunts me from my shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, Black science number five came out. Uh, I grabbed mockingbirds number one. Um, bitch planet number one has been mocking me for a long time. Um, I, I want to hear when you're, I, I've always been sort of I, curious and frustrated by bitch planet. Like I just don't get, yeah. get it. So I'm curious to hear your review after you go. Well, through. Yeah, me too. Because we, as we, uh, uh, almost a year ago at this point, we were doing a podcast and like, right as we hit record, we noticed, uh, I'm sure you noticed that image was having a $1 digital sale. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We each like just <laughs> grabbed everything that we could you know and i had grabbed bitch planet number one maybe it was more than a year ago and i just remember at the time like it was, i was like one page into it and was like holy shit i'm sold on this whole book the art was just so awesome and i love the um social you know uh, uh context of it um so i just i just held off on getting single issues because i guess i was maybe two or three issues behind at the time and i knew just wait for the the tpb and grab that uh, and Paper Girls number two came out. Um, I really enjoyed Paper Girls number one, and I'm very excited for number two. And then my last shout out is to uh, my friend uh, PJ Perez um, runs an imprint called Pop Goes the Icon. Hmm. And I've picked up a couple single issues of this comic they have called San Hannibal. Um, and uh, like I said, I've not read this trade that I'm holding. It is called San Hannibal, the city of love and fear. Uh, it is by Dan Sh Gade Schade and Jesse Snavlin with JD Faith. And the color is what is so extraordinary to it. It is so <clears throat> loud and bright. It's that you you like, especially the the actual cover to the trade, you might think like it, it just you know, it's like it's burning my eyes. I don't I don't know yeah. what to think here. There's one guy that's very hot pink, um, and then there's just a very uh turquoisey blue and a bright yellow, but the issues inside are just this like beautiful rendering of like a black and white drawing that is highlighted with one of those very primary colors, you know, nice. so a wow. whole, um, you know, a whole sequence that's just in yellow. And then there'll be a sequence that's in gray with these pink highlights that appear every once in a while. And um, so the, just the color in it is what intrigued me so much from the single issues. And the last time I saw PJ, which is probably a kamikaze, or no, it was a Long Beach Comic Con. I think I, I grabbed this. So um, I'm looking yeah, at it online so, right now. It looks it looks pretty cool. It's just so cool looking, and uh, I'm you know I, it's again it mocks me from my shelf because I know 
I just need to dedicate like two hours or more to like sitting down and reading the whole thing and picking yeah. it apart. So yeah, yeah. That, that wraps it up. You, you all know what is on my to read list. So if we, by the time we do the next comics episode, if I have not read all this stuff, I've been a terrible person. So, well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty typical these days to have a, have a stack you know, yeah. a dark and rainy night when you have nothing else to do. And just Honest to God, I this I had a, a three day weekend this weekend. And I had to put on on the list, like on the to do list, read comic books. So it was like do laundry, grocery shop, read comic books. Like just just sit read. down and read something enjoyable. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you gotta be careful though. Sometimes when your list is your stack is too big, it almost feels like homework. You're like, okay, I know, I know. I'm do this one. All right, now next one. Here, okay. Honestly, I think that's a great point. I think that's when I start. Uh, you know, uh, wavering between single issues and trades, it's because I'm stuck in that tension. It's because I've got a few trades at home, and I'm like, ah, you know, I can't, I can't read all these in one night. I'll just pick up a couple single issues. You know, I'll, I'll that'll be easy. And then I, if I don't read those, the next week I'm like, well, shit, these single issues look great too. So yeah, I feel you. But we'll flip again soon, and I'll be, <clears throat> yeah, I'll be on the single, the single issue train. It is a great problem to have. There is so much good reading to be done. Um, so I'm excited about it. So yeah. that was probably a longer podcast than we meant to do. But uh, I like where we started and where we ended up. And uh, hopefully people stuck around to listen to it. And we ended up in a more optimistic – in an optimistic tone than where we started. I think that's always that's always good. So Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I always like – you know, that's, that's kind of the premise of our show is talking about creative work and uh, – and the premise of their.network, in fact. And um, speaking of, um, where can where can folks find all our stuff? Find us and all our shows, including uh, the great new podcast called Fan Theories, which has a new episode coming very soon. Um, and our upcoming series, uh, our season of Wednesday and Westeros. Find all that stuff at their.network. Um, type that into a browser. Type their.network. It's shocking that .network is a uh, um, what, what do we call those? A uh, 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 top-level domain. It's a TLD. Yeah. TLD. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Scientologist sounding with all our abbreviations. I feel like we're ahead of the curve, though. Honestly, like it's I'm surprising. Like NBC.network isn't a thing. You know, it's yeah. uh, you know. Come on. We're um, there first. Yeah, there.network, and you can find me at Hey Todd A on Twitter. Where can people find you, Taylor? I'm at Taylor Trask on Twitter, and um, you can find us also, you know, in addition to there.network, uh, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are downloaded or streamed. Oh, yeah. And uh, we look forward to to seeing you or, or, you know, having you hear us on a future episode. So Yeah, I, we, maybe we should say, maybe it's been a while since we said that. If you go to there.network, you will find ways to subscribe to all the podcasts we produce separately. So you don't yep. have to, if you like one of the shows more than another, uh, go to there.network and figure out how to subscribe to that one. Excellent. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, that, that does it for us. We will wrap this up and uh, see you again when we'll probably rant more about music. That's right. See ya.